Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to episode 145. Hey, sounds of cheering and clapping and stuff of the Crystal Silence League Hour. I am the Reverend John St. Germain, welcoming you yet again to an exploration of the spiritual side of life. And tonight we're going to be looking again at uh, children who remember past lives. And we'll probably talk about near-death experiences as well. Why, you ask? Well, we're looking for evidence of survival of consciousness after death, pure and simple. So why don't you join us in about a minute? If you'd like a cold drink, that would be good. Man, it is hot here in Knoxville. It's around 100 degrees these days. I'm not exaggerating. It is. It's getting up to 100 degrees here. As I used to say, back in the days of my grandparents and stuff, they've blown open the gates of hell today, and it sure feels like it. Come back in just a minute, will you? You know, that piece of music is about an hour long. And when I finish the uh, Crystal Silent Shrine, which is the other building, we have right now the um, Divine Harmony Spiritual Church, the main building. I just finished the Black Hawk Power Shrine. And the other building, the other wing, the the east wing, will be the uh, Crystal Silent Shrine. And I'll have that piece of music playing in the background all the time. It'll be a place of... uh, meditation and prayer for people 
to come to, and it will be uh, all crystals, just crystals everywhere, on the walls, ceilings, floor, everywhere, just crystals, crystals, crystals. And it will be the future, uh, or the new home, the new headquarters of the Crystal Silence League. Right now, the home of the Crystal Silence League is a um, is Missionary Independent Spiritual Church, and it will be moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, as soon as I finish that, which will be sometime before fall, I think. I just now finished the Blackhawk Power Shrine. It took a couple months. These things move reasonably slow, but there you have it. Of course, the Crystal Silence League was originally founded around 1917 by uh, Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon for the purpose of projecting positive prayer and affirmation for those in need. And then Mr. Conlon passed into the silence around 1954, and he took the league with him until Adepts, a missionary independent spiritual church, brought it back to life cybernetically on the web about 2009, I think. And it's been in existence ever since. And when you go there, by the way, you'll notice that we have lots and lots and lots of prayers, www.crystalsilenceleague.org. And if you go to the prayer page, you see that we have lots of prayers. We get sometimes 200 a week. And occasionally uh, someone will message us and say, can you please remove my prayer? I'm still getting messages from people. Because when someone prays for you, including our pastors, there's a button you click that says, you you know, uh, you've been prayed for. So it'll say, click here and let, you know, so-and-so know you prayed for them. And there are people who've had prayers there for a long time, and they're still getting emails. And we have a button that says, uh you know, click here to have your prayer removed. And uh, sometimes, though, people can't find their prayer, and they ask us to remove it, which means that someone like me has to go sifting through thousands of prayers, and we'll ask, do you have your prayer number? Well, no. Do you have, uh, you remember when you did it? Well, it was sometime last year. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of times, uh, uh, someone like me will have to go back and look and look and look and look. They'll say, well, my, my email was this. Well, that doesn't help us. We can't find it by email. Uh, sometimes I can Google the email and find it, um, and uh, I just recently removed a whole bunch of prayers from someone. I had to go back and find them month by month by month, and I, I eventually found them all. It took me about an hour and a half, but I did. So if you do post a prayer, try to keep up with it, and if you want to remove it, go back and remove it. We can. We can remove it, but it takes us a long time, and um, if we do remove it for you, for you, do be grateful for that action because it, it's not easy for us to do that. You can remove it yourself by clicking a prayer. We have a gift shop, and you can buy crystals and books and um, crystal balls and things. We have literature on how to use that. We have two books, uh, Crystal Gazing and uh, and uh, uh, Prayer Codes and Techniques uh, for members of the Crystal Silence League. Those were written by our founder, uh, Mr. Claude Conlon. We have Crystal Magic, written by me, uh, Reverend John St. Germain. We have Lithomancy written by me, Reverend John St. Germain. We have more books written by me, Reverend John St. Germain. Me, 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 I, I, uh, coming up um, in the future. And um, uh, you'll enjoy them. Um, They're they're very informative and teach you the use of crystals and rocks and crystal balls. And um, speaking of that, we can go to our Crystal of the Week, if you'd like, which is a very interesting thing. Um, It's Bluestone. Uh, Presley Bluestone or um, 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 Presley um, 
spotted dolerite. And if you've never heard of Presley spotted dolerite, you're not alone. Although I'm going to tell you that uh, Presley bluestone or Presley spotted dolerite is uh, the primary stone found at Stonehenge. Uh, Stonehenge bluestone or uh, Stonehenge uh, Presley dolerite. Although there's several different types of stones found at um, Stonehenge, uh, the spotted dolerite is probably the most famous. And in um, in the UK, if you talk about bluestone, probably you're talking about Stonehenge bluestone. Um, so the monoliths at Stonehenge are thought to have been brought to where they are uh, around 2100 BC. And, um, Many legends about how they got there have arisen. Magic, extraterrestrials, um, Merlin, the magician himself. So uh, Presley Bluestone usually comes from the Presley Mountains. And it's a, um, it's uh, usually a dolerite which contains feldspar. And dolerite itself uh, may be a form of feldspar, although uh, dolerite, is feldspar, limestone, it could be uh, a number of things. Now, usually the spots are, um, um, it can be um, inclusions of uh, ilmenite, hematite, titanium oxides. Uh, it can be chalk. But what makes it modeled is uh, the inclusion of other minerals. So, um, now, bluestone is not always blue. It can be green or grayish. Um, there can be quartz in it. There can be chalk in it. So um, most of them are um, are mottled. Uh, sometimes they'll have yellow inclusions, uh, flecks of gold in it. Um, so these uh, crystals are used um, for work to connect to ancient energies. So, they help you make connections to your ancestors. They're useful to gain access to information for any work to the distant past. And um, a lot of people use them to connect to Stonehenge itself, uh, the the uh, legendary Druidic culture, uh, the uh, Atlantean culture, Mu. But what's exciting for us and our current topic is that these stones are used to help in past life regression. They may help you when you're trying to discover what you are up to in past lives. Now, being a very diff- very hard, not difficult, a very hard stone, if you're making elixirs, drop it in the water, let it sit out in the sun, if you're using it for healing, let it set out in the moon. If you're using it for magic, make your elixir. Put a little brandy in it to keep it from uh, growing mildew and mold. And um, use it to anoint your um, chakras with it. Uh, use it as a drink. Use it as an infusion. Um, and um, um, uh, use it to draw diagrams in your room on your um, magic work, etc. Now, 
in crystal work, bigger is not always better. I've seen people with huge uh, chunks of crystal around, and uh, sometimes bigger is not always better. Sometimes you can get overexcited. And um, I'll tell you that bluestone is often used um, for dream work. And if this is the case, you might not want to get a very big piece of it. Um, you don't want to have large pieces of it in your bedroom. Um, they may overexcite your dream state. Uh, you know, your lucid dreams may be, uh, you may be blasted out of reality entirely. So if you are going to do dream work uh, with bluestone, you might not want a piece much bigger than three-fourths of an inch if you're keeping it near your head. And I might even suggest balancing it out with um, uh, with, with other stones um, to uh, help prevent that. Um, uh, some uh, some more tranquil stones to keep you a little bit grounded. The um, it, it may not be the the wisest thing in the world to keep it too big a piece um, um, in your. Um, um, you know that that close to your to your head. Um, um, keep some amethyst with it, for instance. Um, some um, blue stone and some amethyst to ke- help keep your um, uh, keep your dream state uh, from um, um, skyrocketing you off somewhere. Anyway, that's that's blue stone, uh, dolerite. Model dolerite, so uh, get you a piece of it if you like and work with it and see what it can help you if you're working with past lives. We could go on to our prayers now. If you go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org, you can go to the prayer page where you will see lots and lots of prayers. And uh, it's my custom to read some of these aloud. We don't identify people by name, although uh, we will identify by prayer ID number. And so if you'd like, we can get started on this worthy project. And so it's prayer ID 73492, who wants to pray urgently for her friend. And she says, please pray for Jay. Her cardiologist told her she needs a new heart valve. She's afraid and needs spiritual guidance. Thank you. Amen. And prayer ID 73491, who says, spirit, please remove and banish this interloper from our lives she has caused us harm and suffering without a thought or care. Bring her to justice. Amen. And prayer ID 73490. Praise to God, Goddess of Venus, Holy Spirit, St. Martha. Please heal my broken heart. I ask to make YM realize he made the biggest mistake by being disrespectful and mistreating me. I love him so much, but all of a sudden, he's ignoring and shutting me down. What happened? What triggered this? All hell went loose. Please give me an answer. It could be my last. Beg you to, beg to you about this relationship, so please don't abandon me like YM. Let, him hear from, let me hear from him in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer ID 73488. I had my son last year and have returned to work. I'd like to get the job of a guidance counselor in the high school that I already work in. I need the health benefits for my family and would like to move forward with my career. They're interviewing now, and I'd like to get called and get the job. Amen. 
Prayer ID 73489. Lord, protect me from other people blaming and lying on me. Stop me from feeling accused and destroy my haters. Amen. Prayer ID 73486. Please pray that my police record will be clean. I was tricked and manipulated into something I deeply regret allowing this person to control me. I'm deeply sorry. I'm trying to submit to see what is on my police record. I'm trying to see if I can get the record removed. I need work. Please pray that this cruel man will not win. Please pray they will remove my record. Please pray that there will be good news and ability to become employed. Amen. Prayer ID 73485. For the safety, praying for the safety of all the helpless children taken from their parents at the border. May God and all the protective angels spread their wings and give shelter and protection to the innocent children who need it most. They are in terrible danger and deeply frightened. Bring an end to the horror and reunite them immediately to the loving arms of their parents and bind the psychopaths who made this happen. Amen. Prayer ID 73483. I'm starting a job in July. I haven't worked since April 23rd. I have no money, no car, and I'm being evicted from my place to stay. I pray for protection and to move to South California and become established there with ease, grace, and luxury in divine timing so I can do my life's work, which will be revealed to me by God when I get there. And so it is. Amen. Prayer ID 73481. Who needs a prayer for justice? I sent $100 to a spiritual worker whom I met before. I didn't have enough money to drive to North Louisiana to get my bath and soap from him. Please pray he doesn't take my money. I sent cash trusting it will send me the products. I called and he says he's having trouble getting the bath, but he'll go ahead and send the soap. I'm nervous. Please pray he will keep his word. And this was sent today. If you're listening and you don't get your spiritual bath, I want to make you a promise. And the initials of this person is SB and it's prayer ID 73481. If you don't get this by the end of the week. I want you to call me, Reverend John St. Germain, and I will send you free of charge in the name of the Crystal Silence League Missionary Independent Church and Divine Harmony Spiritual Church. I will send you free a spiritual bath. Just call me. You can get my number from my website, which is on the uh, – you, you can find it on Crystal Silence League. Call me. I'll send you a spiritual bath if you don't get it from this fellow. Prayer ID 73480. Dear Lord, Mother Mary, Jesus, and Archangel Michael, I'll probably get about 50 people wanting that free bath. But no, no, just this person. I don't know who you are because I've got information here on who it is. Don't take advantage of me. Dear Lord, Mother Mary, Jesus, and Archangel Michael, help me to find and break the curse energy theft that was set upon me that have robbed me health, career, family, and more. They caused a car wreck, too. My energy was taken by an occult group about 14 or 15 years ago, and that does happen. 
they used it to revive an order. And because my old boyfriend had a loose connection to them, they got to my energy. I ask for my energy back, purified and whole, for my power back so I may be healed, successful, and do good in the world. Amen. Prayer ID 73479 prays for removal of curses. She thinks her family is cursed. And she prays, I pray for help for myself and my older brother, R.B. We both seem to be stuck in life and make very little progress regardless of effort. Our parents were abusive and neglectful. And although we turned out very differently, we're both struggling through life and depressed. Amen. Let's have one more. Um, uh, prayer ID 73474, who says, Thank you, St. Espedy, for helping me make money. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, prayer ID 73472, Please pray that my friend Jay is able to start actively communicating with me again, that our friendship will be healed. Please also pray my sadness and sorrows in this matter will end. Amen. Well, let's have a moment of silent prayer and meditation for all those in need of comfort and support and affirmation in this sad, sad world. Amen. Well, as you know, our topic tonight is, uh, do we survive? We've been talking about this for some time now. The uh, scientific investigation of the survival of the soul. And when last we uh, parted last week, we were talking about the Bishan Chand case um, from Kapoor, India which uh, happened in 1921 
um, or uh, happened in Bareilly, India. Um, this uh, young man, when he was born, he gained the power of speech, and he began to, uh, around the age of three, he began to speak of a previous life in uh, Philibet, a town approximately 50 kilometers east of where he was born. And uh, no one in uh, Bishan's family knew anyone there. Now, by the time uh, Bishan Chan was five, he'd mentioned many details of, the, of a previous life. He claimed that his name had been Lakshmi, Narain, and he'd had an uncle named Har Narain. He also claimed that his father had been wealthy, and he frequently expressed disgust for his present family's poverty. His father was a clerk in the railway service and uh, only supported his family by a thread. So uh, Bishan Chan re uh, reproached and criticized his father for his poverty. He uh, he would rip his his, his uh, linen clothes off and demanded silk clothes, and he complained that even the servants in his previous life would uh, turn their nose up at the food that his present family uh, had on their table. So, um, at one point, when uh, Bishan Chan was about five, the family noticed that the the brandy that uh, they kept in the cabinet for medicinal purposes began to disappear. Well, Bishan Chan's older sister caught him drinking the brandy with some relish and enjoyment, which explained the mystery of why the brandy was disappearing. And uh, so uh, uh, Bishan Chan's parents discussed the matter with him, and uh, he, he, uh, he claimed with some arrogance that he was, he, he was accustomed to drinking. Um, and then uh, later on, he uh, he had a discussion with his father and recommended that his father should take a mistress. He he said he had a, he claimed to have had a a beautiful mistress in his previous life, and uh, during this discussion, he uh, he bragged that he had even once killed a man he'd spotted coming out of his mistress's apartment. And uh, he went on to say that the influence of his wealthy family. Uh, enabled him to get away with it. He was never punished for it. So, uh, Bishan Shan's father kept a uh, record of all these rather astonishing statements and mentioned them to another man who passed it on to uh, one of his acquaintances who was a uh, uh, rather well-known attorney uh, by the name of K.K. Sahe. So, Sahe became interested in the case, uh, and uh, he had heard of similar cases of children remembering past lives. So he visited uh, Bishan Chan's family in 1926 and took notes. He, he took uh, the notes from the father and took notes of his own, and he wrote down 21 statements that the boy made about the life he claimed to remember. So uh, he um, gathered up Bishan Chan and his father, and they they made an investigation. They, they traveled to Philibut to, to uh, verify the boys' statements, and in not, August of 1926, off they went. So once they were in Philibut, Bishan Chan recognized various places, and uh, he was making comments like, oh, look, over there, there's this, and over there's that, and uh, ma started making additional statements about various adventures and misadventures he had had uh, about his previous life. So a crowd of curious citizens gathered around, and someone produced an old photograph of Lakshmi Narain and Har Narain. 
And with this crowd around of onlookers, uh, Bishan Chan put his finger on the photograph of Hardnerine and said, here's Hardnerine and here's I, which seemed to establish his identity as uh, Lakshmi Narain. Although uh, Hardnerine turned out to be his father, not his uncle. So Lakshmi Narain had been the spoiled son of a well of this wealthy landowner who had died two years before Bishan Chan was born. So after Hardnerine had died, when Lakshmi was about 18, Lakshmi had frittered away the family fortune on uh, on drinking, women, and other debauchery. Uh, although he also seems to have been very generous uh, in donating his money to the needy and the poor and charity. He'd been involved with a and he had indeed had a mistress. He was involved with a prostitute who still lived in Philibet. And it turned out that uh, uh, he had once killed a man he spotted coming out of her apartment. He was very jealous of his uh, prostitute. So even though he killed this person and admitted it, his family was very influ- influential and got the charges dropped. However, he did die of natural causes. A few minutes later, at the age of 32. Now you got to wonder what those natural causes were. If he was drinking and uh, and partying and uh, frequenting frequenting the services of prostitutes. So the attorney, Mr. Sahay, published this account uh, of what he found out uh, during that visit in the national newspaper that was called The Leader in August of 26. So according to this account, Bishan Chan recognized the house of Sander Law. Um, an acquaintance of uh, uh, of um, of uh, Lakshmi, and which he had previously described as having a green gate. He also recognized the house of uh, Hardnerain, which um, he was very distressed to find it had fallen into a state of disrepair because it had been abandoned. He pointed out the courtyard where parties had been held. And he pointed out where a collapsed staircase had once stood, and he pointed to where the woman's quarters had once existed. Uh, by now, there was a huge crowd and following the boy, and uh, they, uh, several people in the crowd asked him for the name of uh, the prostitute that he had frequented so often in his previous life. Bishan um, Chan was very reluctant to answer, but eventually he did answer her, that her name was Padma which the crowd certified was correct. Now, at one point, the boy was uh, presented with a set of uh, drums that are called tabla in India, and he surprised and amazed his family by playing them very skillfully, as Lakshmi Narain had been fond of doing. His father said that Bishan had never even seen tabla before. No one in the family had. And uh, the mother of Lakshmi Narain was still living, and when the boys brought to her, uh, she asked him uh, a, a whole series of tricky questions that only Lakshmi would have known and convinced her that he was her s- surviving son, somehow reincarnated into the body of this uh, five-year-old boy. So the most dramatic example uh, that occurred in the presence of many witnesses was that it had been rumored that uh, Harnarain had hidden in his house somewhere uh, some some monies or some treasure before he died. And when Lakshmi's mother asked Bishan about it, he led the way to a room in the old house. And after a search, the treasure was found in that room, and it turned out to consist 
of uh, 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 a fairly middling amount of gold coins. Now, I want to tell you this this uh, this case was discussed uh, quite a bit by, um, uh, of course, you know, skeptics, and uh, it was undoubtable. It was in the presence of witness that that money was found. It was well documented, and uh, uh, a somewhat famous skeptic said. Well, he probably found it by reading the body language of uh, of the mother. And this goes to show you the gyrations and contortions that skeptics will go to explain this stuff. If the mother knew where it was, why didn't she find it? Okay. There you go. So, nearly all of Bishan um, Chan's statements that could be verified were correct. Of the 21 statements that... Um, Sahay had written down before verification was attempted, 14 were subsequently verified. Um, six of the items were not verified, but most of them were thought to be almost certainly correct. Only one item was wrong. Uh, the name of Harnarain was given correctly, but turned out to be Lakshmi's father, not his uncle. So uh, Bishan Chan claimed that Lakshmi Narain had known how to speak Urdu, uh, which is a variant of Hindi that civil servants in India at that time were required to use. You know, uh, India has a caste system, and the some of the castes are um, distinguished by an ergot, an ergo, or an ergo, um, or ergot, um, a uh, specific language. Uh, as Lakshmi Narain um, uh had worked in government service for a time, um, it, it seemed likely. So Bishan's older brother said that when Bishan was a child, he could read Urdu despite not receiving any instruction. So Bishan's father told how Bishan unexpectedly used two Urdu words when he was a child, Maserate, instead of the Hindi word uh, Zanana for, for women's quarters, and Kofal instead of the Hindi word Tala for the word lock. At any rate, um, following that that very first visit um, to Philibet at the age of five, uh, Bishan established affectionate relations with Lakshmi's mother, and after she moved to Bareilly, he would visit her frequently. He also attempted to establish a relationship with the prostitute Padma, although she quite naturally considered this <laughs> inappropriate uh, to be visited by a five-year-old boy, no matter how old uh, the soul occupying his body. So uh, when Bishan was a child, he had a very quick temper. Um, uh, his childhood behavior was that of a rich, spoiled young man. He would uh, frequently brag about the murder he remembered committing. He'd uh, scold his parents for their poverty, and he would uh, demand food and clothing that his parents couldn't afford. But according to uh, Dr. Stevenson, uh, as he grew older, his attitude changed. The memory of the murder persisted long after other memories of the previous life had faded and caused uh, Bishan some guilt and remorse. It seemed to have occurred to Bishan that perhaps he'd been born into poverty as a karmic balance because of the murder that Lakshmi Narain had committed. He became a reformed person, uh, contrite and humble, and when Stevenson knew him in later life, he showed no trace of violent behavior. Remorse seemed to have 
replaced this childhood arrogance. And Stevenson felt himself in the presence of a generous person of limited means who had learned that material goods and sexual pleasures don't bring happiness. In his rather detailed review of this case, Stevenson apparently placed a great deal of significance to this Abishan Chan case. So because numerous statements were written down by a respected attorney before verification was attempted by an attorney who was used to interrogating and cross-examining witnesses. Many people who'd personally known the previous personality were still alive to verify Bishan's claims. In addition, two skills were shown, playing the tablas and understanding Urdu, which Bishan apparently had no way of acquiring normally. Now, as for the possibility of fraud, why? No financial gain was possible. It was well known that Lakshmi Narain had squandered the family fortune. The surviving members were almost destitute, and they weren't even able to maintain the family home. It had fallen apart. So can you reasonably suppose that um, Bishan Chan's father would want his son to boast of a murder and to scoff at his family's poverty? It, it it doesn't make any sense. So, um, uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson placed a great deal of significance on this case, not only because of the very detailed investigation brought about by uh, Mr. Sate, the verification of eyewitnesses, the uh, years of uh, relationship between uh, both families, um, but also the um, impact it left on uh, Bishan Shad himself. It was a life-changing, the memories of that life before, and the, um, the heinous act of murder committed by the person whose memories uh, he retained uh, led him to live uh, a more moral life. So we, we see a very interesting case here. Um, another case I'd like to talk to you about, and then we'll just move on, because if you really want to read these books, there's a, uh, a compendium of Dr. Uh, Stevenson's cases called uh, Children Who Re Remember Past Lives. And I want to tell you that when you read these, understand these are scientific uh, reports and discussions. They're not novelizations. When you read these, they're going to be very – they're a little dry. And it's funny because some of the reviews say that. They say, well, these are very dry uh, they're not that exciting to read. Well, they're exciting if you understand that they're evidence of survival of past lives. They're not novelizations. Um, uh, if you want novelizations of reincarnation, uh, David Mitchell's uh, Cloud Atlas is a very good one, um, which from which the movie was made. And it's it's an excellent book about inter the interactions of reincarnation and past lives with and karmic uh, interrelations and karmic chains of events and things. But if you want to see decades of scientific research into children who remember past lives, it's Dr. Ian Stevenson's books. And, you know, after you read a few of them, you say, okay, I get the point because there are similarities uh, in these and uh, the similarities and patterns uh, almost are always the same. Young kids remember these lives. The memories fade by the time they're in their teenage years and um, the personalities are uh, integrated. 
So we see another case of uh, Swarnlata Mishra, who was born um, in 1948. Um, and when she was three years old, her father took her with him on a trip 170 miles south. And on the way back, they passed through the city of Cotney, which was about 100 miles south of, of uh, Pana, which is where she lived. Um, she unexpectedly asked the driver of the truck to turn down a road toward my house. And the driver did not follow her request, of course. And a little while later, when the group was taking tea in Cotney, Swarnlada told her father that they could have much more better tea at her house nearby. So as puzzling as these statements were at the time, uh, Sri Mishra became even more puzzled when he learned that Swarnlada later told other children in the family further details about a previous life she claimed to remember in Cotney as part of a family named Pothok. At the time, the Mishra family didn't know anyone by that name of Pothok and Cotney. So two years later, the Mishra family moved to uh, Chatrapur, which is about 40 miles west. And when she was about five, Swarnlata began performing unusual songs and dances in a language incomprehensible to her parents. So in 1958, when she was 10 and had been talking about a previous life for about six years, Swarnlata met a woman from the area of Cotney that she claimed to recognize from her previous life in that city. Sri Mishra was now able to confirm some of his daughter's statements and begin to take them more seriously. So in 1959, a chap named Banjuri uh, investigated the case and wrote down nine statements that Swarnlata made about the Pathak residence in Katni before attempting verification. So Dr. Stevenson enters the picture and investigated the case in 1961 and checked the details that Banjuri had reported. So Banjuri found the Pathak residence and confirmed the nine statements. He found that her statements corresponded closely with the life of Baya, the daughter of a family called Patak in Cotney, and the deceased wife of a man named Pandey. Baya had died in 1939, nine years before Swarnlada was born, and some of Swarnlada's statements, such as her description of the family house being only partly finished, were no longer true, but had been true 20 years earlier when Baya was living. So, as you might suspect, in the summer of 1959, members of the Patak family and Abaya's marital family traveled to Chartapur to meet, to meet her. And without introduction, Swarnlada recognized all of them, called them by the correct name, and related personal incidences concerning them that Baya would, would only have known. So the Pataks came to accept Swarnlada as Baya reborn. So soon after that, Swarnlada and members of her family traveled to Kotni and then to Mahiyar, where the deceased Baya had lived much of her married life and where she had died. And so in these towns, she recognized additional people and places and commented on the changes that had taken place since the death of Baya. And in one notable instance, she recognized a friend of the Patak family and then correctly pointed out that the man didn't wear spectacles when Baya knew him. And on another occasion, she inquired about a parapet at the back of the Patak residence in Cotney, which had been removed since the death of Baya. And altogether, her witness recognition of people amounted to 20, and despite several attempts to mislead her, she was never fooled. So, as mentioned earlier, um, Swarnlada began performing songs and dances when she was about five in a language that was incomprehensible to her parents. So the language of the songs was identified as Bengali by Professor Powell, who was a native of Bengal. This seemed to present a problem. 
because both Swanlada and Baya spoke Hindi, and neither had learned Bengali. So Swanlada said that she had learned the songs and dances from a friend named Madhu during yet another previous life in between the lives of Baya and Swanlada. She stated that after her life as Baya, she was reborn as a girl named Kamlesh in Silhyat and lived about nine and was then reborn into the Mishra family. Now, although Stevenson couldn't identify a child whose life corresponded with the fragmentary information given by Swarnlada, he did think that her account of life in Silhyat contained several plausible features, such as details of geography. Now, perhaps even more interesting, um, the people of Silhyat do speak mostly Bengali. It should be noted that Swarnlada couldn't translate the words for her parents of, of this Bengali language, and that Swarnlada's parents were certain that she had not had contact with Bengali-speaking persons with whom she could have learned the songs. So the Pathak family accepted Swarnlada as Baya reborn. And among members of her present family in Sharpatra, Swarnlada behaved like a child, although she was somewhat more serious and mature than the average child her age, but among the Pathaks, she behaved like an older sister of men 40 or more years her senior, who completely accepted her as her older sister returned. In fact, one of her brothers, uh, Rajendra Pathak, stated that he had no convictions regarding reincarnation prior to Swarnlada's visit, but he had completely changed his mind. So as Swarnyalda grew older, she spoke less about a previous life as Baya. But unlike most other children who claimed to remember previous lives, her memories did not seem to fade. Her parents had done nothing to suppress her statements, and as years went by, she remained close to both her own and the Patak family. Let's go to station identification, and we'll come back and we'll introduce uh, the idea of near-death experiences. LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6, and the Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 6 to 7, all time specific, add three hours for Eastern, Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. All right, near-death experiences. Well, gosh, where to begin about this? Um, the idea of the near-death experience is that um, is that well, people die, and then during death they uh, apparently leave their body, and um, they uh, experience a um, a number of experiences, and then. Um, return to their body and talk about it. Now, what is very interesting about this is that these experiences seem to have a, um, a commonality. For instance, 
people speak about entering a tunnel um, that um, there's a light at the end of this tunnel the um, there's a feeling of uh, um, welcome there's that there's a presence in that tunnel uh, many times people will leave their body uh, going to a next room, uh, witness events that occur in the next room, and describe them with great accuracy. Um, many times people will have time dilation. They'll, uh, For instance, people will just say their entire life flashes before their eyes, before they return to the body. And uh, these will be quite accurate. They'll, uh, Even though consciousness has completely stopped, they will talk about events that have occurred um, while they're utterly unconscious. Now, um, the um, the evidence that this is an actual event has piled up quite a bit. Many scientists have studied this. Um, many doctors have studied this. And I want to tell you my own experience with this. Um, I've never had a near-death experience. So I've never been near-death um, I've never had a uh, – I've had two surgeries where I've been knocked unconscious, and for me, I just fell into a hole and woke up. So, um, you know, I never had an event where I left my body. For me, I just closed my eyes and opened it, and the surgery was gone. So, for me, I just went into uh, nothing. Um, so, um, however – uh, one time I was very near death. I had pneumonia. I continued to work, and I went into a, a near blackout. I went to the emergency room, and uh, the doctor came to talk to me, and uh, he said, well, you know, sir, you're you're very near death. I said, okay, yeah, I realize it. He goes, no, you almost died. I said, yes, sir, I'm aware of that. And then he said, you don't seem to be taking this very seriously. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not afraid of death. For me, death is – I'm not afraid of it. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter to me. He said, well, are you depressed? I said, no, 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 no. I said, um, you know, for me, I've seen what's on the other side. And uh, for me, death is just a passage. He goes, oh, you're a man of faith. I said, no, I'm a, I'm a man of knowledge. You know, I, I know that death isn't the end. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, then he came He came back later and when his shift was over and he said, you know, I can't talk to many people about this. And he said, uh, you're a spiritual man. I said, I'm a spiritualist. I said, uh, I work with spirit quite a bit. And I said, so you've had experiences, right? And he said, yes. And he began to tell me about several near-death experiences he had personally witnessed where uh, patients had died on the operating table and they had resuscitated them and they described what they had seen, including things that had happened in the next room. They And uh, he said one woman grabbed his hand and said, why did you tell my family I died? And he had. He had gone to tell uh, the woman's um, husband and brother. She said, you told my husband and brother that I died. And um, and while while he did that, the uh, the other surgeon had revived her. And she said, why did you tell my husband and brother that I died? I wasn't dead. And and he said, how did she know that? And he said, I, everything I believed changed when – and he told me about a couple of these things. 
And he said, how can such a thing happen? And I said, the only way something like that can happen, sir, is you have to change your belief that consciousness is local to the brain. He said, but how can it be? How can it be? And he said, he said explain to me how, how consciousness can't exist in the brain. And I said, if you believe that consciousness is an epiphenomenal of the material brain, you're going to drive yourself crazy. And I said, you have to free yourself of that idea that memories are stored in the brain, that consciousness is stored in the brain. And I said, if you believe, if you free yourself of that, then everything else is fine. And uh, he said, I need, I need a mechanism. <laughs> and, I, and, uh, and I see, this is the basic. Um, um, so, um, the assumption that memories have to be stored in the brain follows from the mechanistic theory of life. Um, and the idea that life is mechanistic died with uh, Einstein. You know, Einstein was the last classical physicist. And um, the assumption that that uh, the conservation of energy is violated by either psychic phenomenon or the existence of spirit is naive. And whenever that law is quoted, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how to refute it. When a materialist who is still uh, going with 19th century physics said, well, that violates the law of the conservation of energy, they do not understand it. Um, have them state it, say state it, state the law. And they say, well, matter cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed. And no, they'll, they'll stop there. Matter cannot, energy cannot be created or destroyed. I've never heard any of these guys say the whole law. I say, say the rest of it. Say all of it. Because the entire law of, and it's not even a law, it's the principle. It's the principle of conservation of matter and energy goes as follows matter energy cannot be created or destroyed in a closed system it can only be transformed and that's an important thing in a closed system so is reality a closed system that's the question is the reality in which we lived live a closed system Einstein said it wasn't. Einstein said reality may not be a closed system. Einstein said that as space-time now, – now remember, space and time are not separate. Einstein said as space-time – as the curvature of space-time approaches zero, energy – the law of conservation of matter – and energy does not apply. In Minsky space, conservation of energy does not apply. Einstein said it, and Einstein even said, reality, as we experience it, may not be a closed system. He said the universe may not be, a the universe as we experience it may not be a closed system. That's old school physics when people talk about conservation of energy. It's old school physics. Is reality a closed system? So don't don't talk to me about conservation of energy as applied to psi phenomenon, 
psi phenomena or the soul. New, no, new. No. That that's old school, and it's people who don't know about modern physics. Um, that's a hundred years out of date. Einstein said it. So you know, there you go. And um, so we talk about near death experiences. Um, so we have a, a cha- we have a fellow. Um, um, well, I'll tell you that um, one phenomenon that seems to shed light on this whole idea about consciousness not being located in the brain, that the brain is a limiting uh, organ, that it's a receiver of consciousness, that consciousness is a universal component of the universe, and the brain limits it. The brain limits consciousness to what's necessary for us to survive. And one phenomenon that seems to shed light on this is the near-death experience. So uh, many individuals, when faced with a life-threatening emergency, have reported very strange experiences um, in which they claim to leave their bodies, they enter a tunnel leading to another realm of existence, and encounter deceased relatives or uh, a being comprised of light. Then they're turned back. Rather than entering the tunnel or leaving with this being or being welcomed by the individuals, they're turned back or they decide to go back. And then suddenly they find themselves slammed back into their bodies uh, and resuscitation efforts are uh, uh, being administered to them. So uh, reports of NDEs are uh, very common, not rare, but very common. And they come from people who survived life-threatening accidents or illnesses. Um, now, some indie near-death experiences have been reported by people who perceive their lives to be under threat. Uh, and their near-death experiences from individuals who did not expect to die. Um, they didn't know they were going to die. Or because the near-death experience occurred during an operation they fully expect to survive. So how common is this experience? Um, uh, the uh, Researcher Kenneth Ring estimates that about 30% of those individuals who come close to death reported near-death experience, uh, which matches uh, Michael Seborn, the cardiologist's estimate of 27%. Now, an English study of 63 survivors of cardiac arrest found that only about 10% experienced a near-death experience. A Dutch study of 344 patients found that uh, although 12% reported a deep near-death experience um, after an adjustment, um, uh, the true frequency seemed to be about 5%. So these are remembered experiences. Now, we don't know how many are not remembered. So there's fragmentary accounts of near-death experiences that have appeared in art and literature from all ages, but only recently has it been main studied in the mainstream. Um, so we're running out of time and we'll pick this up next week and look at it in more depth. And we'll look at some case studies. So um, if you're as fascinated by this as I am, uh, we'll find uh, ample common ground upon which to discuss this. And by golly, we will see you next week. How's that?